Hello. This time, it's Deep Red. We're doing Deep Red, 1975, Dario Argento, aka Profondo Rosso. It's a work of genius, you've all seen it. It's Deep Red. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. This week, our discussion touches on gendered violence, childhood trauma, animal cruelty, and gender stereotypes. So we've reached episode 11 and we're talking about if there's one Jallo film that anyone's heard of, it's this one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, very likely. And also, if you're just kind of a general horror fan it's the one, and you're not fascinated with Jallo specifically, it's one that you might have seen because of the director's other work, which is uh, some of which is straight up horror. But this... Is fair to say Jallo's masterpiece or just Argento's masterpiece? It might not be my favourite Jallo. That's not what I it asked, m- though. It might be the best Jallo. Like it's, oh, yes. It's, yes, it's I, I right don't up ex- there. I don't necessarily expect your favourite to be objectively the best, the best because because what, what means the most to you will be things often completely outside of the scope of, of what the director intended. But if there is... Um, considered uh, a a central piece in the Jalo genre, surely it would be the film we're talking about. By the way, we haven't said the title yet, but considering you're listening to the to the podcast, <laughs> I assume you'll have seen it on the on the, on, on the title. We're talking of Dario Argento's Profundo Rosso, aka Deep Red. Indeed. AKA the Hatchet Murders. Is that what it's called in America? That was the American title. Fuck. Which is not only which is not only rubbish, but also wrong because no one gets killed with a hatchet to meat no, cleaver. No well, the second victim gets gets bur- burned to death, or just yeah, seems, to, seems to seems to die of their injuries. Which mm. is that bit sort of nicked in Halloween? There's, there's a very similar sequence in Halloween too. Um, there is, but this yeah. was first. Oh yeah, Halloween, no, yeah. Well, Halloween well, was seventy eight, so yeah. Halloween yes. two was eighty. So that was potent. Yeah, I guess that was probably. Well, John Carpenter wrote that one, didn't he? he didn't direct it, but anyway, yeah. digressing. Um, yeah, I've often wondered that. Can you actually be like how how much how scalded do you have to be to die? Yeah, but anyway, I mean, we're, it's, again, it's, it's, it's <laughs> suggest that the, the airways of I mean that's probably not the thing you'd go for most when looking at this. But no, yeah, um, uh, some persons has their basically the really horrible one has their face basically smashed in on a series of hard corners of furniture, um, yeah, which is really really um, is really is really unpleasant. Um, mm. But anyway, um, I thought. This was quite similar in structure. It has very similar beats to Argento's first film, *Bird with the Crystal Plumage*, uh, which we've which we've already covered. That's fair. Was was that just now a signature style of of Argento? Basically, what's Argento done between between then and now? And mm. is is the similar styling uh, deeper than just than just these two films? I think it is deeper than just these two films because I think most of his jelly, even ones later than this, follow so, not always, but sometimes you know, sort of generally follow a fairly similar pattern um, of you know he he very much likes that kind of amateur detective who's involved in a crime trying to solve you know the mystery and it's usually centered around having seen something that you think you've seen but you haven't really seen it correctly. And it's now, and it's an outsider of the for the community as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's something he does. He does repeatedly. Right. Um, so after uh, Bird with Crystal Plumage, he then made two other Jally in fairly quick succession. So the second one was Cat of, Cat of Nine Tails, which I don't think he was a particular fan of. Um, I think it sort of was was made quite quickly because of the success of bird with crystal plumage and i don't know that he was 
particularly pleased to be a be doing it to begin with and b uh that it was sort of a bit rushed and a, you know it's it's not what it's one of his sort of slightly lesser films i think um was he then, rushed was he rushed sorry was he rushed to do it because of the success of bird yes right, yeah okay, exactly yeah. okay um and then the film he made immediately after that was four flies on gray velvet uh, and the three of those are kind of collectively known as the animal trilogy and they sparked this whole explosion of of jelly with the names of animals in the title um and four flies is a, it's an that's an interesting one it's a hard film to like because the protagonist who again is an outsider he's an american rock drummer who lives in italy <laughs> who's um in in the, there's there's a crime for which he is not guilty but is certainly you know looks guilty um he appears to have stabbed someone he you know clearly hasn't and his it's his attempts to unpack the the mystery um but the the main character in that one played by michael brandon is so utterly obnoxious that it's kind of hard to you know feel any kind of empathy towards him michael brandon uh, Mm-hmm. Of Dem- Dempsey and Makepeace fame. Dempsey from Dempsey and Makepeace. Dempsey, Dempsey from Dempsey and Makepeace. Yes, indeed. Cool. Um, so after that, he and I think I think some of that kind of um, misanthropy in the character and the film in general, to be honest, is is kind of Argento's reaction to being a bit fed up with the whole genre. Honestly, um, so after seventy two, he tried to push away from it. He'd also done a. Um, a TV series, a sort of quite a short-lived okay. anthology TV show um, mm. called Doors Into Darkness, where he'd... Um, there are only four episodes, but he he basically... Um, he, he wrote... I think he wrote two. He directed one, and then he kind of uncreditedly uncredited directed most of another one because that the kind of original director wasn't doing a particularly good job. But he also introduces that, so it's kind of like his... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents, or you know, Twilight Zone, because he he literally is on camera introducing each episode. Or Out of the um, Unknown with Boris Karloff. Yes, very come, much come, like come that. To mind, yeah. Very yeah. much like that. Um, and it, they're okay. I mean, his his one is probably the best of the four, but they're they're you know they they're kind of restrained by seventies Italian TV standards, really. So they, they're a little bit. Um, um they're a little bit iffy his, his is quite good a couple of them are out and out crap um but you know they're, they're kind of interesting look as a fan of as a fan of uh, Brit- british uh anthology horror i'm very good at excusing potentially <laughs> low budget situations and talking yeah. about the the, the, the the story craft and if yeah if you look mm. at plenty of studio bound ones as opposed to you know like the ghost stories of christmas when they did like one a year and they're all, they're all on film but yep. you know i i quite like the uh uh if, if and i don't know how these are made i've never seen them but if it's got the traditional sort of uh cut from 16 millimeter film to dodgy videotape that i find that quite i find that quite com- comforting with their wobbly sets <laughs> yeah it's, it's not quite i'll have to i'll have to uh send you those you might find them interesting i would find them um, interesting thank you very much yes um so he was kind of done with it after that, and um, some a, a couple of kind of amusing quotes uh, that I that I uh, pulled out of Alan Jones's excellent Dario Argento book, uh, "The Man, the Myth, and the Magic." Um, so he basically said, "Everywhere I looked, there were pale imitations of my work with catchpenny titles trying to evoke my success. Uh, trends and vogues disgust me." So. The next thing he did was to jump on a trend uh, that someone else had established, which was kind of a period uh, period comedy. So really? that kind of God. yeah, yeah. So that kind of um, Decameron style comedy was was pretty in vogue in Italy um, in the early seventies, um, and you know the, you get ones popping up like Edwidge Fenech is in a bunch of them. Um, so he made a film called uh, The Five Days. Uh, he said it happened because my Jallo period was at an end, and I should bow out gracefully. Um, yeah, wow. Um, so he'd he'd wrote it. He wasn't the original choice for director, but he ended up directing it, much like Bird with Crystal Plumage. Um, and he had, it's fair to say, an absolutely horrific experience um, <laughs> directing the movie. Um, the leads, the lead actor was actually a singer and was a a, a real kind of diva. 
um, and Argento kind of like a you know a fair number of kind of Jallo directors is not the best with actors to be honest you know he's sort of he's much more i think interested in the, no, the I, mechanics and I'd the visuals i and... heard he didn't get on with hemmings for this mm. for, for, for this film and yeah. hemmings expecting something akin to antonini um wasn't happy either did, did, did not get that no. um so no. um and and the movie itself i mean it, it actually it, it sort of could considered like a bomb it did all right in italy um, but it just, it was a movie that was never going to travel anywhere else because you, of the subject matter. And you also, um, you said to me before that Ita- Italian comedies don't travel at all. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it's the sort of, I mean, I, I, to be, I have to be uh, full disclosure. I haven't seen the five days. Ah, okay. So I was um, going to ask you, is it any good? But, um, but it's also, it, it actually was quite expensive because of, it's a period movie. So, you know, the costumes right, yeah, and the, yeah. you know, sets and everything. Um, so it, it ended up not really being a success. So with that in mind, he was then looking around for kind of what was the, um, what was the next project? And uh, something that came up, he apparently wrote a script for um, a version of Frankenstein set in Nazi Germany. Wow. Uh, and he'd actually got Timothy Dalton attached as the lead. Wow! But, but um, for whatever reason, he couldn't—he uh, couldn't interest anyone in making it. Apparently, he sort of ran it by hammer. But I guess this is like '74, so they were basically operating. Who's Timothy, on... who's Timothy Dalton? Oh, he's that yeah. guy in Jane Eyre. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's like Hammer were on fumes. Universal didn't seem to be particularly interested. Um, he did. He did. Uh, he was later quoted as saying, "I found the script again recently, and I have to admit it was shit." So Christ. perhaps we dodged a bullet there. Um, based on Dracula 3D, we may well indeed have uh, have dodged a bullet. Um, <laughs> but but so with all that kind of behind him, he basically um, kind of came back to Jello. Um, almost as an escape and he's done that a few times to be honest like when he's when he sort of a project's kind of gotten away from him a bit the next thing he'll do tends to be like something more jello based after inferno which was a you know a a huge nightmare to shoot and um you know sort of somewhat misunderstood film i like very much but you know it's it doesn't it was the follow-up to to Suspiria and you know it has suffers from those comparisons um and so then the next film he did after that was um uh was it Tenebrae I think after that or Phenomena I can't remember which way around they are but then he kind of did more you know he sort of returned sort of left supernatural horror and returned to kind of more jello um type movies um so it seems to be a bit of a like a safe space for him if not anyone else um and he said he came back to it with a clear-headed passionate force um and he went to his parents house which was pretty much abandoned in the country he didn't have a phone or anything and sat and wrote um uh this what became profonderoso um working with uh bernardino zapponi who uh, was one of Fellini's collaborators and who'd written the um, part of Spirits of the Dead, you know, the uh, Poe anthology um, with Fellini and uh, Roger Vadim and Louis Mal. He wrote the Toby Dammit sequence that has um, Terence Stamp in it. Um, So, you know, he had some some form in that area. Um, And, yeah, that then ultimately became uh, Deep Red, which, you know, kind of looks like a movie that was written in sort of a slightly feverish haze in a deserted possibly haunted house kind of thing to be honest i'd have said that there's a bit more structure than than i was expecting um interesting because um, it is a it is an in in terms of how the the jallo unfolds and you know jally yeah. you have to expect some fairly major leaps in logic as the plot advances in a lot of jally mm. and that that's fair enough this is an interesting one because each kind of deduction is based on something incredibly sort of completely out of left field oh i read this book once and there was a thing in the book about this house where something happened right i'm going to go and find the book now i'm going to go and find the actual house and <laughs> do you know I, what I, mean? I, I, I have i have made a note that it's bloody useful that bardi has read that book yes isn't it it, it is however like you've got to move something on and as in the plot, sorry. And sometimes I get equally annoyed and not bothered by something because if it's easy enough to then just introduce something else, 
mm. as a way of getting to the next bit of the plot. Does it matter? Um, yeah. I, but in other cases, like um, uh, Calabrini's uh, deduction of the, uh, the, the the police hadn't checked because the police are all shit, as we know. Um, <laughs> Realising that the police really hadn't, that the corpse was pointing at the at the bath. Mm. So Watson there, oh maybe they wrote something on it. I thought that mm. was I thought that was quite that was uh, quite nicely done. Indeed, details, mm. as in by detail I mean sort of extreme close ups of things, are very mm. much a feature of this. I, I thought you know you've got the mm. you've got the piano keys um, very close up with this beat the the hammers beating on the beating on the strings as he as 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 Marcus composes. You've got that mm. sort of weird sequence of. Um, uh, the the killer's accoutrements being looked at in minute detail, which mm. almost seems like you're you're in you're inside the killer's mind. Everyone's doing jazz hands as well. There's a weird thing I thought going on with people <laughs> waving or playing with their hands. Yes. Um, David Hemmings has got this. I mean, um, Gianna uh, I think has a go at Mar- has a go at Marcus at one point. Says stop fiddling, stop touching. And he's doing that as well. And she mm. plays with her hands and she moves with with sort of weird physical comedy, yet mm. with sort of, with sort of playful grace. Um, mm. other way through it as well, and there's a lightness of touch, but there's a concentration on the on the. I thought I thought I thought the detail, which I which I found found very interesting. Mm. Shall we do a quick pricey of the plot in as much as we can? Okay, well, I'm going to assume that everyone who's listening to this has seen the film because if, the, the if you haven't, stop. Shame on you. We'll start. Yes. <laughs> Because there's a major twist, and if you know it before you go into it, then it's then it's pointless watching. It's pointless watching yeah. the film. Stop! But stop the episode. Go and watch yes. the film. And I'm sure back. it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, uh, it's available by legal means on the internet. Uh, and come back. Uh, so um, Marcus Daly is a, uh, a pianist and teacher at a conservatoire. In we are in Rome, are we? Uh, we are in Turin. Oh, in Turin. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's quite close up, so there's not mm. any. Um, okay, is there? There's yes, a conser- the the, uh, the bit in the conservatory at the beginning where he's teaching. Um, I my note was welcome to jazz crypt. Yes, it's a lovely opening, isn't it? <laughs> moving around. It's not what I expected. Anyway, uh, David Hemmings plays Marcus Daly, who is a, a who is English, mm-hmm. um, but spe- uh, but uh, teaches at the at the conservatory in Turin. Um, Apparently, um, and he's he's coming home one night, uh, and he meets his his drunken his drunken friend um, when he witnesses uh, a murder, and the murder is of a woman called Helga, who has uh, been at a um, a cle- uh, like a telepathy. Um, Convention. Yes, it's kind of a psychic reading type. Well, she's, she uh, makes clear to say this: this isn't magic, or I can't predict the future. I can just, I can just read thoughts as they appear. I can feel things as they appear. And she, uh, during this this demonstration, and she gets a, an Italian gentleman to, who's just, just come. Ah, oh, yes, he's just come from Rome. That's right. Yes, as well. Um, he gets an Italian gentleman to say, like, you can tell what's in his pocket or where he where he came from. Um, but while doing this, um, has a has a huge attack of uh, trauma, as if she's being stabbed to death, and she deducts that there is a killer uh, in the in the auditorium, who um, through a POV shot we then see somewhat suspiciously leave. Um, but that was she then rather unhelpfully when everyone's uh, gone except her her, her colleague uh, Professor Calabrini says I think I know who the killer is but I need to be sure I'm gonna go I'm <laughs> gonna write it down and tell you tomorrow and like you're fucking dead um, <laughs> and then Marcus she goes home goes to um, uh, uh, write it right to, to then write it down does so speaks to her friend in in germany uh for a bit and then the killer turns up and 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 and, and, but, and butchers her which is witnessed by by marcus now marcus uh very bravely runs into the room runs into her flat down a corridor uh which is covered by many and weird paint many weird paintings finds she's already dead uh when when he gets there uh, and then i think here's the door and then we see the killer escape um, calls the police, and then as the police investigate the scene, he's being interviewed by by the copper. As he walks down the corridor again, 
he uh, says something's different, something's weird. I've not quite, I've not quite got, I've not quite got it. Uh, but something, it feels like something's missing, uh, which is a recurring theme as he tries to, as he, as he tries to piece together. Now, then follows a very convoluted plot, getting several, with the killer always killing someone who finds out who the identity of the killer is. Yeah. Until we get to the denouement, where we think it's been um, Marcus's friend Carlo, uh, who's the killer, but in a revelation that every person who's been viewing the fucking thing goes, well, obviously it isn't. Marcus re- <laughs> Marcus realises that like, Carlo's got a cast iron alibi for the first killing. And we all know yeah. that because Carlo was there when we heard the scream. Yes. And then Carlo says in a completely non-problematic way, oh, it's probably someone being raped. I, I salute you, deflowered virgin. Like, you, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and then he goes back into uh, he, when he goes back into the house. Um, he suddenly realizes, as he investigates the Helga's flat uh, again, what he was realizing, what had changed, and he finally realizes was that the, a painting was either mi- he, he thought a painting was missing because a face wasn't. In it, but what he was seeing was the killer's face in a mirror, and she was there. And it's Carlos's mum, who so Carlos' mum who we've seen several times um, th- mm. throughout the piece. And it's pieced together, uh, murdered her husband in front of Carlo one Christmas, making mm. uh, Deep Red a, a, Christmas, a Christmas film. A fight ensues, <laughs> and, and, then, and then Carlos Carlos's mum is, mum, 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 mum is killed. Now, the yeah. twist... Uh, which doesn't cheat. If you if you know what you're looking for and you watch the film again, you see the killer's face in the middle as well. But if you're not looking for it, you miss it. And it's brilliant. And it's and it's and it's brilliantly done. Ah, sorry. And the bit I, fundamental bit I missed out. Sorry. The title sequence is interrupted with Carlos's mum killing Carlos' dad and the kid seeing it. Um, mm. Making you think maybe that's the that's the child of trauma. You don't see who anybody is, but there's just a standard, quite nice title sequence with the goblin music, which is just interrupted midway through by a thirty second sequence of someone being murdered, and the titles kick kick back in, uh, yes. which is very extraordinary. Now, have I missed anything out? Um, the only thing that I would add is the uh, occasional interruption of the plot by a journalist, uh, uh, Gianna. Um, played by Dar- Daria Nicolodi, sure, who um, sort of uh, inveigles herself into the into the case by kind of initially showing up at the murder scene, and then will kind of somewhat help and somewhat hinder Marcus um, as the investigation goes on, and they sort of flirt in a slightly. I, I think it's meant to be kind of screwball comedy way that's hasn't dated terribly well but is still really interesting it is um yes i'm sorry i didn't mention um gianna uh who's the who's who's the female lead but it's they say well we'll both investigate and see who wins but her investigation doesn't ever get going no but she turns up i mean like she turns up she rescues um marcus from the burning house uh from the killers well of the of the original murder we see in the we see in the flashback, but she has beyond that she has no real um, impact on the plot, which is also which is which is frustrating because she's painted as like a as like a strong woman, a feminist, but spends most of the early scenes going on about how she hasn't got a boyfriend, while Marcus doesn't seem particularly interested. I wonder if I'm reading too much in, but it is Marcus meant to be gay um, and gender? gender roles are are being played with his friend carlo mm. is certainly portrayed as gay yes. um the the subtitles use the f word um but i'm not sure if that's what the italian language is he using a derogatory term for homosexual or mm. is he saying something something else we have a sequence where uh marcus goes to find carlo and carlo is um is in the flat of someone whose gender is uh, unclear. Um, I think that's pro- probably 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 the best way the, the the best way to put it. And while that character has uh, is is shown sympathetically, given what we later realise about Carlo and about his trauma and about the fact he's now prepared to to kill to to protect his mother, who is the killer. Um, 
I'm not sure it's entirely helpful to sort of had, well, look, he's perverted and like both in mind and in sexuality um, seems to be a thing. But anyway, there's a, which certainly is problematic, but there is a running theme of usurped gender roles uh, that, that runs through and that families are, are deeply, um, are deeply troubled places. Not just because of the, I think, of the killer. There's a line about, I think, that, that David Hemmings has about, he he's said, his psychiatrist said he became a piano player so he can imagine smashing his, his father's teeth in as he bashes, bashes down on the keys. Indeed. Yeah, the, Argento has some, some interesting history with gender uh, in his films, to, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm trying very hard not to get cancelled. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean there's, so, there's, there's a sequence in Good Well with the Crystal Plumage where a transvestite is put in a lineup with paedophiles. And yes, then, and then says, "I'm not. Don't why are you putting me with the paedophiles? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like them." Yeah, uh, which, yeah. I mean, for, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. There's a yeah. there's a detective character who is who is very um, overtly gay. Who is a you know heroic character and actually sort of in in one sense quite progressive, but in another sense very sort of comedically seventies swishy. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's something that that Argento kind of comes back to. So I think he's. I don't know entirely what he's trying to say about it, but he certainly, you know, he he includes um, characters whose genders are not, you know, strictly masculine, feminine. I mean, in, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the movie? In Tenebrae, there's actually a, a flashback sequence to an assault, which kind of drives the plot, which features a, um, the, the actor... Um, playing the victim is um, trans feminine, like like the the actor is trans feminine playing a woman. So there's there's uh, uh, I'm say playing a woman as trans feminine. She identifies <laughs> yeah, yes, as a woman. Yes, yes. Um, Her character but, is also a woman. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Um, but it, but it is you know, and, and again the sort of playing around with gender in that film. So so it's something that he's he's clearly interested in. I guess potentially just because of you know the the mores of the era. He's some of it is we would look back on now with with, with horror, um, and not the type of horror he's he's intended to portray. I mean, for the most part in this, yeah, the the non, as you say, is Carlo's homosexuality being portrayed as a result of his childhood trauma. Because I mean, he's actually a relatively sympathetic character, you know, for yeah. the most part, and 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 so is his lover. Um, you know, none of none of them, and and the way his lover is kind of seen, you know, there's there's no real. I mean, there's a sort of slightly um, hesitant uh, moment from Marcus when um, they meet for the first time, and he sort of turns away, thinking he's, you know, have I got the right place? And then he kind of yes, presses yeah, the point, yeah. and it turns out, of course, he is in the right place. Do, do you know? Do you know what that 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 sequence reminded me of? What's that? There's something about Mary, <laughs> right? In in the bit where Ben, uh, uh, it's Ben Stiller, isn't it? Yes. In the bit where mm. Ben Stiller goes to pick up Cam Cameron Diaz for the um, for the prom, and he opens the door, and there's a black man standing there, and he like goes and he starts to walk away, thinking this isn't this isn't right. And then the mum turns up. I know, I'm sorry, but I'd seen there's something about Mary long before I saw before, and that that's the first thing that came. To, now I'm in no way suggesting the Farrelly brothers. Watched, watched for Fundo Rosso and go. That's what I want for that sequence. But yep. instead, of, but well, there is, was, but, there is, there is an odd seam of of humour running through this. Argento's film, Argento's films do often have kind of slightly cracked humour. Um, I mean, interestingly, if you watch this in the longest version and you watch it with the English dub, um, it cuts to Italian a lot because when it was edited for the US, the they only dubbed the bits that they kept. Um, so oh, it keeps right, cutting. So, so it keeps cutting back into Italian. Um, if oh, you the, watch the, the longest version with the English dub, which which is a little frustrating because the English dub has David Hemmings' yeah, real I, voice I, and all of that. I, I, um, I, I chose the Italian version mm. with, some, with subtitles and was. Yeah, I missed David Hemmings' voice, but I think I'd yeah. rather that, that everybody everyone yeah. else speaks. Yes, and, I hate and, and dubbing. what what you find in that version is that the. Um, when it keeps cutting to Italian, it, it tends to be the kind of slightly goofier character stuff. Um, so th th there's a running joke um, that the um, head detective, um, Superintendent Cacabrini, something like that, um, 
uh, played by Eros Pagani, uh, Eros Pagni, sorry, um, who interestingly is also a noted dubbing artist and dubbed Christopher Lee in Gremlins 2 into Italian. So there you go. Wow. Um, um, but yeah, there's a running gag that whenever you see him, he's always eating a sandwich, um, even at the crime scene with, you know, surrounded by sort of gore and blood and the body of this dead psychic. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the, the humorous stylings are interesting. And they don't really advance anything. There's, I mean, to be honest, Gianna is almost there as kind of a comedic setup for for or, or you know the, the, the her comedy is basically making fun of Marcus because Marcus is a bit of a tosser to be blunt. <laughs> yeah, that's I can I, I can see that which plays into the, the gender roles thing. Actually, mm. now I've made that slightly flippant comment about um, there's something about Mary um, Howard Ingham the writer who I co-host my Nigel Neal podcast with. That's Bergcast, everybody. Do check it out. Um, now, he said that he's watched Monsters, Inc., which I haven't. And he said he's sure there's there's an homage for um, Deep Red in Monsters, Inc. with the small... Mo- uh, mon- uh, Mike. Okay, the one with the... Uh, the, the, the one with one eye, yeah. Monocloptic... Um, Mike, Mike Wazowski. So you've seen Monsters Inc., right? Oh yes. Yeah. You can tell. You can. You can. You, you can tell me then. The, the sequence where he gets into a car and then the seat collapses. He reckons is an homage to <laughs> David Henning's getting in the Cinquecento <laughs> and the seat collapsing. I mean, thinking about how that shot, yeah, it does look pretty much because the 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 two kind of the, the the digital camera placement and the actual camera placement, kind of looking directly into the car as the seat yeah. kind of drops it's like it's pretty much dead on so yeah i'm i i I would not be at all surprised if um the pixar guys uh are argento fans yeah cool that's good and there is a lot of physical comedy for the start Mm. 70s cinquecentos are both iconic and shit um (laughs) um, and you know hemmings is is not a small bloke so the sort of getting out of the roof awkwardly every time because the door the door doesn't work it's mm. like the world's it's like the, the absolute worst of Dukes of Hazard and mm. running out of the top is, uh, is, is 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 a continuous theme but that yes. also plays into making uh, Marcus Daly's character slightly buffoonish um, yes which I like because it I I would hate the sort of cool, uh, cool, calculating detective. Uh, but pretty much every man in this is flawed or, or, or complicated or infantilized in some way. And I'm, mm. I'm as we think now, the, the bit with the second bit with the sequence with the police, um, uh, Cal Cabrini, whatever he's called, is um, is smashing up a coke a coke machine because his coke won't come out. Um, yes. The sequence where Marcus is looking for is looking for Carlo and goes to Carlo's mum's house and she. There's a running gig. She always thinks he's an engineer, which is a far yes. less masculine job than a than a piano than a pianist. But she offers yes. she offers she offers him a drink. Now you know a drink in Italy. You know what that means it doesn't mean a fucking coke, which he gives yes. him. Uh, so there's yeah, I think there's that theme. But if there's one theme I wasn't expecting, uh, at least in the uh, uh, it, that's strong in the film, at least in the first half, mm. is um, Judaism. Uh, which, yeah, you yeah. you mentioned this, and I hadn't I hadn't specifically picked up on that. I I had noticed that in um, Helga, the uh, soon to be deceased psychic's apartment, that it's it's very kind of runistic. But you actually picked up on that that those are that's um, Hebrew characters. Well, it's um, there's her table. She has a glass table. Uh, and first of all, Helga, by the way, is is German, hmm. um, which is you know possibly seen as which is very significant because if you assume this is set in in the mid seventies, so it's thirty years after the end of the war. Mm. Um, Helga doesn't look particularly old, but she's probably born during during the war. But when we mm. see her before she's murdered on the phone in her in her apartment, um, there's a we see a glass table with the Star of David, and Argento makes a point of lighting through that, so a shadow of the Star of David is on the floor as the killer approaches to to, to dis- destroy the evidence. Mm. Secondly, there's a stylized menorah, the Jewish candle holder, uh, on on the wall. Yes. And then there's a lengthy sequence taking place during and after a Jewish funeral. Mm. Um, 
which is where uh, Marcus and Gianni first first get to know each other. But it's the professor Giordani. Is it Giordani? Giordani. Giordani. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's 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 with Helga at the te- telepathy conference or, or, or whatever? He's mm-hmm. he's there and he's wearing a skull cap. He's shown to be a, a he's shown very definitely to be to to be Jewish, mm-hmm. and it's never commented on. And it's not something I've encountered on our on our journey uh, through through, no. Jalo, through through Jalo before. So I'm curious as to what Argento's trying to say there. Is it a reference to because um, both both those char- those characters are, are killed? Both the obviously Jewish characters are killed. Mm. Is it a reference to the Holocaust? Is it post-war Italy working through its guilt at mm. at the Mussolini fascist fascist era? Hmm. Um, I don't know, but it's um, is, was it on his mind because he'd just written a script about Timothy Dalton creating Frankenstein in Nazi Germany? Who knows? Um, well, if probably it is, less if, that. If, <laughs> if, if, if it is, it's probably more subtle here than it is. Yeah. In- it's a shame because, as he said, he t- it, he thinks the sh- now thinks the script is shit. But I'm kind of curious, you know, because obviously the the Nazi element, you know, and and Frankenstein itself is, you know sort of like a golem story sort of what is, yeah, yeah ha- sure, how yeah. those things kind of gelled together so mm. but yeah as, as you say I, I don't know it's not something i've actually seen kind of come up in in my reading i mean there's probably much more kind of scholarly articles um not to say anything about the uh, scholarliness of alan jones who is um a very distinguished horror writer um but yeah it, it's the sort of thing that i suspect has probably been examined on someone's thesis but until you mentioned it i hadn't, even, I hadn't clocked it at all okay that's 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 interesting as well there's i mean mm. there's there's things that um, and I mentioned to you before when we did when we did episode one that I thought it looked like uh, it had come from noir, mm. and there are a couple of references I picked out while watching it, where Argento I think is directly referencing noir. Mm. Uh, the the um, the telepathy sequence comes you know, seems to be similar to um, Night as a Thousand Eyes, the, the Edward G. Robinson. Uh, bit and the bit where the killer's uh, eye appears in the um, in the wardrobe for the for the for the is it Amanda Rigetti the second the second victim uh, that sort of that sort of looks like a bit from the spiral staircase mm. um, and he's and the opening of the um, telepathy sequence where it mo- where the camera moves through and the curtains open is really really like is really like silent cinema. Uh, there's that the moving sequence, as in you're stepping into, you're watching a play, and now you're stepping sure. into you're stepping into this world. Uh, the very definite hand leading of early cinema, which is yeah. we need to take you on a journey because you're not entirely you know, because the audience is that more naive about 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 film uh, mm. than it is than it is here. So I, there's there's things I think there that that Argento's wearing influences on, on his I mean- sleeve. The man loves an opera house. Let's be honest. Um, oh yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think, and then, I mean, another th- reference that he makes. Let's have another shameless plug. Um, so the 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 pivotal sequence uh, sequences really because um, Marcus's apartment is. Uh, and and the the, the reason uh, why he's he's there to actually witness the murder is the victim lives I think upstairs from him or downstairs from him I can't remember but they live in the same building, yeah. Um, and uh, so the location that they use for several sequences, um, both kind of looking up to the apartments and on street level is is um, apparently the Via Ro- Via Roma Piazza in Turin, um, which is a real place, uh, and. It has sort of very striking architecture. The apartment, or what they use as the apartment, kind of goes a- across the road on on sort of quite modernist columns. Um, but there's also, as well as this kind of modernist architecture, there's a, a, a an old um, kind of reclining nude statue figure. And they frame it beautifully, don't um, they? With um, yes, with uh, uh, Marcus and and Carlo either side as they sort of shout at each other drunkenly. <laughs> yes, yes. That's um, and and the only bit of that whole location that's actually a bit of uh movie magic is carlo plays piano in a bar that is part of the uh piazza but now that's not a real bar that is a construction for the film it's called the blue bar and if you look at it you will notice that it is basically a um 
line by line copy of Edward Hopper's painting, The Nighthawks. Literally the whole front of of the bar is that kind of oval diner shape. And it's lit in the same way. And actually when they're having their discussion right before the murder, because there's a couple of scenes actually inside the bar. It was, it was a fairly elaborate construction, uh, clearly, um, where it's quite busy. But at that point, it's it's almost deserted and you just kind of see a couple of people propping up the bar, much as in the painting. And, you know, Hopper is one of those artists that's hugely influenced Noir, hugely influenced Hitchcock. Um, so that's really, I think, Argento, like, leaning into it a, literally as hard as you can without having a sign that says Hopper. And, it, and when you're in there, there's a sequence where both Marcus and Carlo play the piano together in there. Mm. Uh, it's like you're in um, 1940s. Uh, New York or mm. or uh, New England uh, mm. Hopper. Everyone's sort of slightly dressed, slightly out of time. There's there's ladies dressed um, with like with uh, I think there's a like you know a a mink or you know a a, a, a cigarette holder. Something that doesn't look necessarily as it might might appear in 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 seventies in in, mm. in in seventies Italy. And there's lots of very stylized sequences. I think with um, with extras, there's a bit I think where where Marcus and and, and 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 Carlo are talking, and there's like three extras all staring into windows, uh, mm. in going in a line. Totally unnatural, totally yes. sti- to- totally yeah, stylized, yeah. but it draws the eye beautifully mm. for the background yes. and that- to the foreground. Yeah, very much like Hopper's paintings of, of yeah. you know, the inside of diners and, and train cars and things. For more on the influence of Hopper on cinema, go to Diabolic Magazine and read my article, Inscrutable Melancholy, Edward Hopper in Genre Film. <laughs> Amazing. I will too read that. <laughs> the couple of things I want to, I want to look out for uh, as well is in a slightly, slightly tongue-in-cheek way is mm. um, probably the most famous sequence is... Giordani's Professor Giordani's death when he's mm. worked out where he's found out who the killer is so you know he's dead he's dead next and there's a long sequence of him thinking feeling a bit nervous in his in his quite opulent flat uh thinking he hears something gonna get a cup of coffee we hear some movement at the back so we know something's we know something's off uh when will the killer strike well after uh a mechanical floating doll uh, bursts through the bursts through the door uh, for no reason. Now, before we've seen like the uh, Rigetti before her death, the killer's mm. gone in and hung up and hanged some dolls by their necks from the the seat, mm. as in child's dolls. But here is like is is a is a, an automaton uh, mm. with a horrible laugh, and because like they don't really have the time to get an, an automaton there quickly, it's clearly on. Uh, wheels behind it mm. um, so but it's walking quickly and um, I watched this with my wife and she said it looks like it's floating whether it's meant to be supernatural or not it, mm. it looks terrifying and then he batters it uh, smashes it to pieces and, and then he's like completely completely terrified and then the killer appears from the uh, from the window and brutalizes his face to death by smashing it against various corners of tables and fireplaces. Yeah. Um, but it but the doll, that mannequin, the automaton, comes from nowhere. Like yeah. I, I don't mean out of the corner and from the into the room. I mean in the story. There's the only we've had a bit of a doll motif, but this is really, really um, a uh, a strong escalation of the, mm. the doll theme as well. And while it's terrifying, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, no. like I mean, the killer's put it in place and then gone back outside. And then, that's a lot. Did they carry it there? Why, <laughs> how she got it? What is it? Um, I mean, and it sits sort of outside that it's, it's, it's really fucking scary. It's really, really well done. But don't think about it too much because yeah. it, 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 it doesn't make well, any sense. It kind of plays into that Argento's films I've seen described as sort of the closest thing to like a waking nightmare because they don't make sense, but the shit that doesn't make sense is really scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it really plays into that. I mean, one of the things that's that's interesting about Deep Red is that it comes at that kind of pivotal moment before um, Suspiria, like his next film is Suspiria. So it's the yeah. shift kind of from his his earlier jelly, which, you know, really straight up jelly, um, into what is, you know, like a masterpiece of 
fucking terrifying supernatural yeah. horror and this is i mean i don't know I, I i i kind of vacillate on this so this is a bit of a jello fantastico in that there's a psychic element but then part of me also thinks if you if you take the sort of psychic element as it's all a scam as you know sort of these kind of woo demonstrations of of psychics are really um it still kind of works like if if you know for effect helga if, if helga is yeah. is kind of putting it on and, and you know for a bit of a show says someone in the audience has killed someone if that would still be sufficient to then trigger the killer mm. so i think it kind of works both ways so it, it does however she describes like true the, the little things she describes are very similar to what we've seen in yes, the, you're in, right, the, you're in, right. the, in the in the title sequence. So I think I think the intent is probably yeah. The Helga is. However, sure. they're going. For, they're saying it's not magic. It's telepathy. And mm. um, uh, Giordani has the uh, bit where he just says that it's latent in all humans. We just lose it when we start to speak and when we start to hear because we don't need it anymore. You can mm. get by on the senses the senses we have. So I think there's a definite sense of trying to ground it. In the, in the in the real world, less fantastical than just undiscovered. Yeah. Um, yes, and and something that Argento actually sort of carries on into. Um, so so in Phenomena, you have you know Jennifer Connelly, psychic schoolgirl with a right. mental connection to all of the insects in the world. Um, but again, that's that's kind of done for science. I love Phenomena. It's okay. it's, one of, it's one of those it's one of those that I know I know some Argento fans uh, see it as a lesser work. I think it's brilliant. It's so, it's got a razor wielding chimp. Come on, guys! Wow, it's it's, it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Ha 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 ha. Um, a couple of other smaller things. Uh, um, the <laughs> the police afterward actually after. The, um I think uh, Gianna does an article on on Marcus saying like you know like he thinks he saw the killer like and it's like cheers love you've just set like this up the police see this as well and then the killer turns up at Marcus's house why the fuck don't the police look like put a watch on the house for Christ's sake <laughs> yeah uh, like second Marcus doesn't lock his door not that matters because. Uh, uh, um, Helga did and the killer just somewhat effortlessly kicked it down which considering yes. the, the killer is like a 70 year old woman is also quite is also quite impressive um, but um, the, my favourite bit is we see a cab pulling away like the killer's got a mask on a, a big hat <laughs> a leather jacket and takes a cab to the house of a victim <laughs> Yeah, which is in the middle of nowhere. Which is the middle of get, like, at least get a cab to two, two, two palazzos over and fucking walk, love. Like, and it's, <laughs> it's just, this is delicious. No, and the police still still don't think there might be there might there, there might be a threat. But the genuine yeah. question I had because there's a, the, the sequences in the house of the screaming child, which is lovely, gorgeous, mm. gorgeous sequences where he's exploring uh, this space, this dead space, and discovers the the the, the child's drawings of murder are genuinely chilling and genuinely mm. interesting. And as he uncovers them and there's that sense of loneliness, and then he goes back and he works out the positioning of the, of the window and there's no corresponding room there. So he knows something's been walled up. That's great, great stuff. And then he, he, he because he has to know now uh, and he, and he smashes it and we see the room that Carlo's father was killed in and we see Carlo's father's emaciated corpse mm. and, still, and still got a Christmas tree because I've still left that there because remember Deep Red is a Christmas film yes. uh, <laughs> and then the killer turns up knocks him out and burns the house down yep why doesn't she just kill him <laughs> That's that's the only bit I couldn't get past with Indeed. The, the things because she's like there's form she's knocked out um, Amanda and mm. but then killed but her. then drowned her yes yeah, yeah. Um, why doesn't why doesn't she just stick a cleaver in in David, <laughs> David Henning's back it's that's the only that's the bit I didn't and you know this he gets put through the rough he like he falls out of the window and then clings onto her. he has glass smashed into his face you know, mm. he go he goes he goes through the ringer and there's the the secret the the the, the really decent um, sort of subplot with the the caretaker's daughter who has a drawer who's just copied copied this horrible drawing as a nice as a nice mm. false false framing we have that one you know this lovely and this great sense of locations where. Uh, Marcus and Gianni break into the school where you finally try, they finally realise who the you know uh, narrowing sort of where, where the killer is and Gianni mm. is apparently killed and then you you learn she's not dead she's going to be all right um, mm. and then there's the, and then there's the final sequence where he works out what he did or rather did not see uh, mm. in the 
in the house. There's all that frantic conclusion stuff as well. Uh, and it's it's so delicately paced with a rushing finale. But I just couldn't get past the <laughs> the, the killer had like had you at her mercy and didn't. Yep. Who is the killer, by the way? As in the actress, who's the... Um... That, uh, it, that's very interesting. So that is um, Clara Calamai, who... So way back at the beginning of, of the podcast, we talked about um, Visconti's Assessioni, which is sort of technically the first Jallo because it's based on um, The Postman Always Rings Twice. She's the lead in that. So Wow. So that's a, she, a well, interesting callback. She, she has the sequences where she says, I used to be an actress. There's all those old... Mm. Yeah, she, yeah that, exactly. That's, so wait, she was making films in the in the nineteen forties, yeah, nineteen forty three uh, was a sessione during Mussolini's time. Mm-hmm. And she kills a Jew. She kills two Jews. Indeed, she's a propagandist. But now, this isn't casting aspersions of anyone working. I don't know enough of the situation to say every, <laughs> everyone make to say why didn't you do a um, an anti fascist film. Yeah. Well, no, or, or why didn't you just bugger? Why didn't, why didn't, why didn't you just bugger off? Uh, but mm. then I don't. I don't know if any. Italy was not was not Germany, and Mussolini was not was not Hitler. Nevertheless, mm. um, and I'm, by the way, I'm not defending Mussolini in any way. I'm just this. <laughs> so but there's um, but in a way that that someone like uh, this actress would have been. Um, easily able to work in, in contemporary Italian film industry, whereas mm. potentially those people who were Nazi propaganda filmmakers quite might 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 not be able to. Mm. But if she was making films in the nineteen forties, which would have been had to which have, would have had had to have been approved by the Mussolini government, she's an active, you know, uh, an an active state agent and her character is killing Jews. That's that can't be a coincidence. There's a paper in there somewhere. There is, but yeah, I'm, um, wondering, I'm, I'm wondering if there is something there from uh, from casting someone who who was a you know presumably quite a young and beautiful woman as we see from those mm. photographs, and she's and she's killed and she's killed a couple of Jews. I think that's anyway. I think uh, that might have been on the nose from Argento. <laughs> you knew what he was doing rather than just an old woman is the an, an old, yeah. old an old woman is the killer. I mean, g- g- given the the meticulous and perfectionist care that's taken with pretty much every aspect of the movie um yeah i don't think that would have escaped his notice uh let's put it that way yeah another interesting little ca- casting bit so yeah. um very small one but the the kind of uh the detectives kind of helper cop uh is played by uh fulvio mingozzi who was um also in bird with crystal plumage his character in plumage was a uh, detective and in this one he's agent mingozzi so he got a name at last so that's quite nice is it meant um, to be set in the same universe uh, oh i don't know the uh, the dario argento <laughs> cinematic <laughs> universe, universe yeah. <laughs> well certainly certainly the three mothers trilogy uh which, well, yes, sa- then, which sadly only two were ever made yeah. uh the third tragically never happened uh, nicoletta elmi who's the little girl the creepy little girl olga um she's going to turn up in several more films that we're gonna we have on the list Oh, good because um, going back into your the fantastico stuff as well there's mm. something like there's some latent power in her as well like the dad's mm. scared of her there's that bit where what have you done if you like stabbed a gecko through the head or something like, yes yeah yes. um the like and that's it doesn't really go anywhere other than the false framing when when uh, Marcus sees a pic- sees the picture like the the picture in the in the house. Mm. Um, but it's um, but there's something there. There's something mm. unexplored. Actually, there's lovely little details of side characters uh, that I really 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 really, really enjoyed. I, this is extremely good. I mean, yes, I I can't get past the stab. Why didn't you do it? But you know, every film has that. <laughs> um, yep. This is this, this this is glorious. This film, and we haven't even talked about the soundtrack. Sorry, we haven't talked. about Oh the soundtrack. yes. Which, yes, which we must extraordinary yes um, um yeah. so argento had uh he yeah he, he had a, i mean he had prog rock leanings anyway um so he'd worked with he'd worked with Ario monaco morricone on the animal trilogy um and it, it sort of was a bit of a fractious relationship particularly as time went on um and for f- four flies because it's basically about a guy in a rock band he wanted to get uh deep purple that didn't happen he'd hired a composer for for this film um who who he sort of felt wasn't really getting what he was going for 
Um, he apparently flew to London to ask Pink Floyd if they'd do the music and they okay. told him to fuck off. Um, so he was kind of scratching around for, you know, who, who could I get? And he was asking, you know, people, you know, who they, um, who they might recommend. And he, he, uh, had a conversation with Claudio Simonetti, who's the keyboard player in, in Goblin and basically kind of described a couple of things to him. And then within a couple of days, he'd got two demos of, tracks from simonetti um and he was literally like this is the guy um so yeah and and then it began you know what it what became a very significant and uh fruitful relationship for fans of horror soundtracks because then they went on to do um multiple of his films um yeah. suspiria of course tenebrae i mean you know that whole a bunch and and working on other films that he was involved with and you know doing the the soundtrack to uh, dawn of the dead and you know uh, but really extraordinary work mm. now they were normally like the when you like a like a like a, the refrain of the of the killer like a musical refrain you could normally expect what it what it might be but the one for the the killer here is is so is so upbeat and really, but yet it works and i'm used to mm. watching a lot of a lot of uh, particularly uh, europe continental european cinema and mm. you know the the cultural difference showing in the Potentially, the, the the music not quite working for, in the same way when when viewed through English eyes, mm. uh, uh, but I wouldn't have expected that when you hear the when particularly in um, uh, when Amanda gets up and the and that and the music kicks in and then the killer appears behind her that quite mm. you know the double up of the of the, of the drums and the kicking it's it's quite. It's quite almost upbeat, and mm. yet it and yet it works as a sense of heightened tension, rather than you know sort of strings or single piano as you know, mm. in as well. It's not star, it's not stark, but it's like a it's like a rush of fear, and it's it's yeah. really 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 good. Um, this is an extremely good film. This is an extremely yeah. good. I probably haven't said that enough. I've really got about so much <laughs> liking Mussolini and not getting and deciding why not as well. This is this is a really really this is a really good film. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's deservedly, I think, the the high watermark um, of the genre, and you, I mean, arguably, I don't know. It, it, I think I think it I think the plot holds up better than Suspiria. Suspiria doesn't have a plot. It's a series. Well, exactly. Of, it's, a seri- <laughs> it's 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 a sketch show of horror. Uh, yeah. It's with just a, it has it no more holds up than an amicus portmanteau. Indeed. Uh, uh, which just has the witches at the end. As a, just as a less, less Roy Castle. But, yeah, sadly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Roy Castle and Suspiria would have been, and I'm one of those people that much preferred the remake of Suspiria to 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 our, to, our, to our genders. Get out. It's, sorry, mate. I, it's just, no, I, I, oh, have you got a plot? No, I've just gone in a room and then fallen in a fucking in a fucking hole of razor wire. You've got no, to I, keep I your razor know. wire somewhere. Why? It doesn't. It just hold. It's just and the next thing happens and the next thing happens. This isn't a fucking fighting fantasy book. <laughs> Choose your own Suspiria. Yes, room to, room, room, I love it. Room, room to go in. So, so yes, I know I'm on a, a minority, but um, I did. I did prefer the remake. I'm sorry. Of the LFM. Anyway, have we reached the end of our of our first series? Uh this, not this, quite. We've had, oh. we know we have a couple more to go. Oh, we do. Okay, never mind. Uh, we yes, leave that bit as well, because I feel yeah. like there's been a there's been a definite. I can see the progression. Um, from, yeah, yeah. I can see where it's come from. I can see why you couldn't have started with something like you had to see. You had to see the origins. Uh, mm. But I'm trying to see so many of similar themes through, and I'm particularly delighted to see. Uh, Noir being homaged when it seemed that early was coming from uh, was coming from uh, was early Jalo was coming from Noir, but then mm. taking it somewhere, taking it somewhere very different, but not forgetting its roots. Mm. It's all anything. downhill from here. Oh Christ, is it? <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else we haven't covered? Um, the only other thing I would mention is uh, so Daria Nicolodi, who who starred uh, in this movie as uh, Gianna. Yeah, um, this was the a beginning of a uh, a long and somewhat turbulent relationship with with her and Argento. She was he she was certainly his muse for a number of subsequent films. She wrote, co-wrote Suspiria. Um, were, they, were they lovers? Uh, yes, indeed. They, right. in fact, Ar- Argento, um, director and ah, actress, okay, yes, is yes, the indeed. daughter of of 
uh, Dario Argento and Dario Nicolodi. Right, okay. And Argento saw her in a Elio Petri film called uh, Property is No Longer a Theft. Um, and Ooh. if you... S- and, and if you've se- if you've seen uh, that particular movie, Gap you will know you, you you will know that he saw all of Dario Nicolodi Fair in enough. that movie, um, and he kind of stalked her is probably the wrong word, but um, certainly <laughs> he, he kind of pursued her, you know, f- for this movie enthusiastically. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and their relationship, you know, had had highs and lows, but it was probably like kind of the longest relationship of, of his his life. He, um, he strikes me as a as a as a, as a tough chap to to, to spend. A lot well, Dario sort of subsequently said, "You'll know as it went on, like the the more and more unpleasant ways he found to kill me in his movies." Oh Jesus! Um, which oh, is def- which is definitely true. Then he kind of started putting his daughter in films, and that was even more weird. See, does, <laughs> does, does he stab her with? Because he's when you see a killer's hands, that's always Argento. That's always Argento. Yes, he, so, yes, he so does. Does he stab his daughter to death? Well, he normally gets her naked first and then stabs her. Oh my Christ! Okay. <laughs> Great. So, uh, what's on, that note, on that note, <laughs> what? By the way, what's next? Uh, so uh, next time we have a oh it's one that we've we've mentioned before so it's um, the pajama girl case which is a jello that is based on a real life murder so I'm uh, sure it'll be very sensitively handled uh, indeed (laughs) (laughs) look forward to that until until next time Next time, John and I tackle a film based on a real-life murder inquiry in 1977's The Pajama Girl Case. Please join us, and thanks for listening. Mussolini, better than Hitler, you heard it here first. No, no, that's not what I said. (laughs) That can't be the one thing you take. You take from that... That's going in the trailer. Fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what I said.